Welcome to the Macros for Life podcast, where we talk all things macros, business, and marriage. We're your hosts, Eve and Randall Guzman. Visit our website at www.gtransformationacademy.com, where you can download our free How to Track Macros guide. This guide has helped over 15,000 people start their macro tracking journey. Welcome back, guys. Good to see you. Today, we have a special guest with us, our friend Andrew Coates. He's a fitness trainer, a coach, speaker, and writer for several magazines such as Men's Health, Men's Health, T Nation, Muscle and Fitness, Generation Iron, Bar Bend, and Kabuki Strength. Andrew, can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? I may have missed <laughs> a thing or two. That'll <laughs> leave it to me, huh? I appreciate it. It's good to see you guys again. We we had a great time at the Real Coaches Summit, our friend Aram's event. That's where we got the Actually, well, Eve, we met the week prior at Raise the Bar, where you attended and made a big impression. So let's just say that uh, everybody listening, keep your eyes on Raise the Bar next for next year, next February. Um, we'll probably both be there. So just, just I won't give anything away yet, but it's all good. Anyway, about me, because <laughs> this really isn't about me at all. Um, I've been a trainer for 13 years. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, which is, the, I guess, the, the largest northernmost city in north america right like you got you get some smaller cities like anchorage and Juneau up in alaska and what have you but we're kind of north up in canada and worked for commercial gym for six years but out on my own for seven um along the way started a podcast with a friend still got that going uh got the opportunity started writing for my own website then i got asked to start writing for t nation um four and a half years ago and that led to a bunch a bunch of the other ones that you listed which is cool and then travel a lot through the industry, a lot of conferences like the ones we just talked about. And then that eventually led to the people who hosted them wanting me to come speak at them as my social media following grew. And now there's been a ton of public speaking the last couple of years. So, But the whole thing has still been about the person, the client in front of me, because I'm still a full-time in-person coach. That's why I get to do all this extra bonus fun stuff and get asked to come on all of these awesome podcasts. So appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we did want to touch on is like a lot of people will get to like a certain level of success, if you want to call it that, in their business that are fitness and nutrition coaches and they stop the in-person. Um, mm -hmm. What is like the driving force behind you wanting to stay in person? What do you get from it? What are your favorite things? What's that been like? I think there are people who do an incredible job with online. And I think there are people who make a really great go of it. I also think that there's a lot of people selling the lie of the traveling on the beach, online, all this sort of stuff, right? And I'm not necessarily sure everybody's well equipped to do online well because you still have to make it very personal. I use a lot of voice and video messaging to make sure I have all these touch points with my online clients. So that's, I think... There is a type of person who is drawn to wanting to work less, make more, work less. And I understand that's a human thing, but I think most coaches are really passionate about helping people. And I think there are people in the industry, maybe it might be an overstatement, but slightly for the wrong reasons. We also see in, you are a mentor, but your mentorship came from your success, and then people lining up to ask you, hey, can you help me with my business? It wasn't you in a rush to go, all right, I don't want to coach people. I want to be a business coach. And then you're in cold DMs everywhere. There's 
very, very different sort of thing going on there. But I do think a lot of trainers get this idea that, well, if I can go and become a business coach, I don't have to work anymore, right? Whereas the really credible business mentors in our space have very proven longstanding track records. And in many cases, people like Luca Hosevar, like Pete Dupuis, they, they're still in the business as well, right? They still have their um, their gyms. So I, I just like working with the person in front of me. And here's another thing too. I think that in-person coaching is more stable. It's more secure. I really do think, I think you can do a really wonderful job with online. And is this audience more coaches or more enthusiasts? It'll be a little bit of both. Okay. So this will probably speak more to the coaches. I did an episode of a podcast recently with Aram Gregorian, and we talked about it. It was the episode that I got the most response by far. And we talked about how everybody's putting on a good show about how well they're doing. And you get all these coaches who the last year, inflation has been rampant. Uh, it's been challenging for sure. Recessionary talk. And a lot of people's businesses aren't doing as well. I felt like I was hitting a bit of a low point this summer. Aram said the same thing. I've talked to some people with big mentorships in the industry. They're saying that business has been down a little bit and they know about other people who are really hurting, but everybody's putting on a nice shiny show of how great things are on their social media. So for the coach who found this year challenging <clears throat> and has those ups and downs, it's not just you, okay? Just a lot of people are just pretending like everything's okay. And also a lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing vulnerability because it can come off as desperation, right? Where I think in all honesty, I think if you're communicating with the client in front of you and saying, you know, I really would love to build my business. It's been a little bit of a, a slower period. Um, and just make sure that you're staying top of mind and, and that the ask for the referral, I think is really important for the coach. And then for the enthusiast, don't just assume your rock star coach is busier than they can possibly handle because it's been your referrals. You came from somewhere originally anyway, right? And so even, even the, the best coaches in the industry, most of them are still in a position to be able to take on a great referral, a great client that'll fit them. And for me, in-person has always been easy. It's been stable. Um, I enjoy it. I'm fulfilled by it. Like, forget like the rush for you know the max amount of money. It's like, I'm really fulfilled by this. And the fact that it's stable and fulfilling gives me the energy and the bandwidth to then write travel to public speak because the thing that pays well is the coaching, right? You may get to a point, there are like a rare breed that can command five figure speaking fees at these events, but that's not many in our space. So what's really going to pay your bills is to just take care of the client in front of you. And I've got clients like my client, Larry, who's 73, he's retired. He's really strong. I put him on my media a lot. I, I'm not interested in getting away from doing that. So it's nice to have the, the, the extra from the online, I'd say about a quarter of my revenue probably comes from coaching online. And my online clients are happy. They love it. Uh, they self-select to being really serious, dedicated people. That's beautiful. But in-person is fulfilling. And so I'm not in a rush to get away from it. And in, in an industry where I think there's a lot of people, a lot of talking heads, a lot of marketers, you know, talking about AI. And there's people who are like selling it. And then there are people who are scaring people. You know, oh, your job's going to go away because of AI, whether they're the pushers of the AI solutions, or they're pushing some sort of business mentorship that gets around it. And I think some of that's really well-intentioned, but I think some of it can also come off as very predatory. The reality is 
people have already been self-selecting to Renaissance periodization templates and MyFitnessPal and Carbon Dieting app and MacroFactor. And there are some really credible people I just listed off. The owners of all those are great people who are building these solutions to the type of person who wants the simplicity of the app. But then there are all the people that self-select because they want the relationship of a human being. And the world is actually, in a way, drifting back to analog, away from everything being app and digitized. My recent passion for buying vinyl records. I grew up, dad had vinyl when I was a kid. I loved it. And then, of course, had a, I had, still to this day, massive CD collection, which I don't buy anymore. And then everything went MP3s and we're downloading off Napster. I went through all of these things. I had cassette tapes. I remember... I would sit in front of the radio with this this tape uh, deck, that radio tape deck thing, and you'd wait for a song you wanted to have because, like, I'm that old. And, of course, you hear the right song or the announcement coming on, you, you try to time it, you, you press record so that you get these songs that you want, right? Like, very, very time-intensive, inefficient process. But that was life back then. For anybody who's younger, this sounds horrifying, right? We're the same <laughs> age. We've been through all of these. Exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. But... What did I go do? I got a gift uh, of a record a couple, like two and a half years ago. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, now I need a record player. And guess what? I'm in love with it. I love, there's something completely different about the experience of sitting down, putting on the record and just listening to it in that form versus firing up an MP3 through a, a Bluetooth speaker. It's just different, right? And so I really do think that all the scare stuff is just that there are definitely going to be a lot of people who will consume better and better versions of, you know, app based uh, structures, right? But people have already been seeking that stuff in its current form. And yet people are still reaching out because they want the human touch point of the coach who is there to listen when they're having whatever sort of stuff. I, fully half of the in-person clients I've ever worked with, it's as much therapy as it is, you know, the training, right? And if they can have a a, a safe place to have those kind of conversations with empathy that, I mean, people are going to try to train AI to do it, but we know it's an AI. It's, it's, it's not a real person. And then there, there may be a day where it gets better. Like the AI is better at emulating theoretically human responses than humans are, but people are still going to know. Right. And you're going to have, like, I'm going in the weeds here, but I, I really want people to get this. There will always be that person who will get married to the blow up sex doll, right? And now those things, I'm going to a crazy place here, but those things are getting more advanced and more complicated because there are people that literally want to bypass interacting with other humans. There are people that live in virtual environments, but they're not the norm. Most people seek human connection. Most people want the imperfection of a human relationship, the risks, the, all of the wonderful rewards versus you know, this fantasy, total fictional, false reality of interacting with computers. And I don't think any of our jobs are under threat as long as you're committed to the human element of the coaching experience, being very, very skilled at what we're doing. And staying in person to me is is just one of the better ways that I found for it. It doesn't mean every coach has to stay in person all the time. There are definitely a lot of benefits to being you know, heavily online, but I just love it at the end of the day. So I know long-winded answer that went in a lot of weird places. 
No, I actually got a lot out of this. And I think our audience will. Like, you dropped five or six gems. We could literally talk about only that for the entire time that we're on. But I think it's refreshing to know that you love in person. You do it. You're committed to it. Because a lot of people think they have to go online. And if they don't want to, they don't have to. And Randall and I are always in the uh, the school of thought. We talk about this all the time. We agree to disagree, but we love when people have something that they love. They stand behind it. They can say why it benefits them, their people. And like the fact that you are committed to this and you have the discipline and showing up in a way that you love and that your people need. I mean, we respect that in a major, major way. Got a question for you. Yep. How many of the women in your mentorship actually did show up for Real Coaches Summit? Oh my gosh. The actual total number, it was so many, I don't even Ballpark. know. Maybe I mean, 60-ish, maybe. That was That's what I was guessing. Like, what I got to know Aram originally, and then I found out about you, and I, I even used you and Aram as an example in a presentation recently about abundance mindset. You guys don't ask for stuff. People just, you guys are just so supportive that people just show up for you, right? So when I found out that Aram's having this event and he's got Stan Efforting and Jade Tata and, you know, some other, and Jordan Syed, a a late entrant uh, to speak, but Aram's like, Eve is the one who's far and away bringing the most people. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. I got to get to know her more. Of course, brought you on both of my podcasts and, you know, we got to hang out at, at these two events and I just saw what was going on there. But here's my point. Those 60 plus women traveled to show up to be present so you think about all the stuff you do your mentorship i'm sure most of it really does exist within the online virtual space but what does anything that you've done with them through your curriculum the 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 virtual mentorship meeting did anything quite compare to the experience of having everybody together in in person oh in person it was everything i mean i bawled at the end because i couldn't believe it happened like It was like the icing on the cake. It was like the climax of all of the training and the relationship building that I've been creating. And even to relate what you said about people being afraid of AI and this and that, it's because they don't build the relationships. And macro mentorship has been different for us because we refuse at this point to make it a self-paced course, to try to make money and go completely virtual. And we keep every single live round because that's what people want. They want the interaction. They want the connection, especially in a space where they're not seeing people every day that are like themselves, being entrepreneurs, battling with social media, figuring out pricing, wondering why their clients are this or that and another. And so this is something a lot of people need, but I tell Randall and all of our clients all the time, I need them as much as they need me. And that's why we do it this way. Chat GPT cannot compete with community, right? You built a great community. I saw the dedication. I mean, I've gone to a lot of these events I've never seen anything quite like the the reverence and the esteem that they hold you in. And it's uh, it's obvious the impact that you're having on their careers and their lives. And they were a wonderful group of people. They were, mm-hmm. th- these women were incredible. So I, I just think it's a perfect metaphor for what we're talking about, about how I don't think anything truly compares for most people to amazing in-person experience. Definitely. Well, not to jump off topic too, too far, but... Um... You talk about introducing children to fitness and the gym a lot. Um, 
how did that relate to your childhood? Like, were you introduced early or like, how was your childhood as far as fitness and, um, and the gym is concerned? So there's two things going on there. <clears throat> you're, re- you're referring to a post. I wrote it in 2021. It's funny. I, I posted this recently in a story and I said, I post things on Twitter like because that's where I was making my graphics originally for a really long time. But they also become timestamps that record when it existed. It's also, mm-hmm. it's a post that's gone super viral. It's the most popular post I've ever had on Instagram. I've shared it multiple times and people have plagiarized it a lot. So it's funny because then of course I have the timestamp original, right? So and but that that's a little side that's a little side quest when i grew up yeah i was lucky my parents i consider to be really ahead of their time uh they got us involved in sports early dad bought me hockey equipment it was wasn't something i took to we're in rural newfoundland a little small town 500 people but we also there was cross-country skiing there It was a little bit of a hub there were some world-class coaches there so the whole family got involved in skiing my dad competed skiing as an adult learning it as an adult uh, I competed at a very high level, provincial level, medaled, um, at, you know, when I was like 12 years old. From the time I was about six, seven to 12, a lot of skiing, a lot of competition. And then I got away from it. But then we we were playing everything else. We were playing softball. We were playing football. We were playing, um, you know, floor hockey, volleyball, whatever. Like there was always a lot of sports with, with school, even though it was a small school. Uh, my parents played a lot of tennis. My, my grandparents' place, the lake house in St. John's beautiful place. My, my grandfather was a doctor. So each property on each side had a tennis court, just to give you an idea, right? I, we, I remember one day we were kids driving down the driveway and here's my grandfather playing with the premier of Newfoundland. Like basically that's our Canadian governor, like playing tennis with him. It's just like, okay, this is crazy shit. But but we're always around this environment of, of sports and, and activity. And at the same time, my parents also really good about feeding us, uh, you know, and, and again, a lot of this is very, is, is luck. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's good fortune. It's the you know, the the good fortune of growing up with a family I did. Not everybody has that advantage. So I'm very for I feel great that I had this experience and I understand that not everybody has it, but we'll come around to the future generation in a moment. But my parents, uh we, we had oatmeal, I think most mornings. We had um, you know, healthy home cooked meals most of the time. And then an understanding that, hey, you could we could have pizza, we could have a treat. Fridays, I got, you know, back in the day, $5, which went a long way. And I would buy a, a drink and a chocolate bar, a couple chocolate bars and a bag of chips and what have you, and have money left over, right? Not mm-hmm. anymore. Okay. So um, what I think, we, we can't go back and change our past. We can't change the circumstance that our parents came up through, their education when it came to nutrition. I was just fortunate. But we can work hard to try to give something back to the next generation of kids. So if you grew up in an environment where you didn't have those advantages and you're listening to this, because again, you know, there are going to be people who will hear this be like, oh, you're privileged, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're missing the point. Like, just knock that crap off. If someone's listening to this, they're interested, they're motivated, they're trying to learn. And if for anybody listening who didn't grow up in that back in that kind of environment, you're doing the thing and you should be proud of that to put yourself in a position that if you have young children or plan to, that you can have them in an environment where they see you engaging in health promoting behavior. So you're working out or any sort of healthy activity. You're you're cooking healthier meals on average. And another side of this too is the alternative often, how many, I'm guessing there's probably a lot of women listening to this, how many women grew up in an environment where their moms used language primarily around dieting and fat loss and, and a lot of complicated body image stuff because that's what she 
grew up with. That's what she was inundated with, whether it's watching, you know, like people could love on their Oprah all they want. And I think Oprah can do a lot of good stuff, but Oprah also, I'm going to criticize your Oprah here, guys, if your fans are, <laughs> but she normalized a lot of really toxic behavior with a lot of the yo-yo dieting stuff that she was doing and promoting and what have you. Now, I mean, that's, there's, there's a lot to that. And I'm not interested here in beating on Oprah, but just as an example, how many people grew up watching Oprah shift from diet to diet to diet or, or, or any other number of celebrities who propagate this sort of stuff or you get an idiot like Gwyneth Paltrow, I'll go right after Gwyneth. Gwyneth is a moron who shares nothing but rubbish on her website, right? Like that's dangerous misinformation. Like, mm-hmm. like that's, that's next level stuff. Um, But anyway, that's a lot of people's growing up. So we can change that narrative for the next generation. The, where it came about is the gym that I contract out of allows kids to be present. So uh, several of my clients over the years and, and and my best friend, they will bring their kids in and the kids will just chill out. Like for my best friend, I'd make a fort out of plyo boxes and the kids would go in there and, and you know, just hang out or whatever, be on their iPads or doing stuff. They're not in the way. They're not, they're not running underneath people doing Olympic lifting or anything dangerous. And but we, it wasn't abnormal to see a few young kids in this gym space. And what did we see? This is just becoming normal. So how many people as adults, especially as an adult who may have, maybe you're 50 pounds overweight at 30, 35 years of age, and your first experience with a gym is, well, I need to go to the gym to lose weight. Yes, we know that there are other outlets for it, but in this particular example, and they step into gyms and they're, and they're terrified. They're intimidated because they've been led to believe all these negative stereotypes about what gyms are. And there's this conflict where the desire to get healthy suddenly is more uncomfortable than the fear of the gym, but they're still going in dealing with that fear. What if, you know, a lot of kids grow up where that's actually a pretty normal place. So they can either self-select and choose to grow up, engage in very fit, active behaviors. Like we're not talking about having like five-year-olds max deadlifting. Like forget those stupid um straw man arguments like kids are playing sports and being active anyway there's nothing wrong with them doing basic body weight movement patterns and they, they like to mimic what their parents are doing anyway or maybe they don't necessarily take to it early but maybe they find it later in life that they go hey like i grew up around this i saw my parents doing this this is really normal you know maybe it, it just makes it easier to get boots in on the ground in a gym and i'm going to say something blunt and unfortunate as a society on the aggregate this generation is lost Okay, it is lost. Statistically, it is lost. There are a lot of examples. Eve, you are a wonderful example of, you know, education, deciding I wanted to change. I didn't want to live this way anymore. Everybody listening knows your story. And then now you are giving these gifts and educating and helping more people, right? Everybody here is in a position where they're seeking out information and knowledge and they want to change. Every individual can change. On the whole, society, we're probably, we're not winning the battle against, you know, the growing rates of obesity, the growing rates of poor metabolic health, all this sort of stuff, right? We live in a tiny little bubble and we have to come to grips with the fact that we can help as many people as we can and hope for the best. But if we can start at the next generation at a younger age and model and create environments that are, are different, then there's probably hope to make a bigger impact for the next generation, right? As we're like, I don't know if anybody, you guys have read uh, Peter Atiyah's, uh his new book, I think it's Outlive. And he talks about like um, healthcare 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And then the 2.0 is a current version, which is very reactive and dealing with metabolic 
you know, disease, lifestyle disease as it's happening to try to mitigate it, right? Where he talks about healthcare 3.0, which is proactive, which is better education about nutrition, about physical activity, which he promotes, and much, much earlier detection and moving the yardsticks so that way we're way more aggressive about seeing the signs of, okay, you know, blood sugar's elevating, like not waiting until someone's pre-diabetic before we say, listen, you're on this path, we need to do some stuff now, right? And that's ultimately what we're talking about is we're just talking about modeling this behavior for, you know, kids when they're younger. And anytime I post it, there's always someone who squawks, it's like, oh, gyms are toxic, blah, 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 all this sort of rubbish or whatever, you know, get them outside. It's like, it's not an either or, right? Like get kids outside, get them doing all kinds of sports and active stuff, things they enjoy, whether they like dance or hell, make sure, you know, get them playing piano and musical instruments, like all of the above. But there's nothing wrong with if you are passionate about your own physical fitness and you like working out in gyms, the growth of home gyms since the last couple of years, because we know that's happened. We're not going to talk about what happened in 2020, not even going to mention this stuff, but we know a lot of people set up home gyms. How many people now it's way more could be their home and the kids are there. Like I've got clients that I train videos, kids are in the background doing whatever. Sometimes they're like mimicking mom and dad. Sometimes they're ignoring them, but it's going on in the background. They're being exposed to it. There's my rant. For sure, for sure. It definitely resonates with me when I see when I see any of the posts go up because for us, uh, myself and Eve, we grew up and we weren't introduced to those things. Like I played sports all my life, but I was always given that excuse. Uh, you play D-line, you're a big guy, you play line, just eat what you want, right? So eventually my weight got out of control and we had to lose it. Um and while we were losing it, we were bringing our kids to the gym with us. We were giving them the iPads while they were in there, like you referred to. But they were exposed to it, and they were exposed to what we were eating. We didn't make them count macros and eat what we were eating, but they had healthier options. They were able to eat their junk every so often, and we've seen those things carry with them. Now my daughter is 21 today, and my son is 16 years old, and and we've seen so many traits come through that that actually just is shining in those in those guys like leadership traits um athleticism of course so they both excelled in ath athletics self-confidence like um work ethic all of those things translated to them through them learning those different type of disciplines early in their life so like it's super important to me and um when i see it i just i love it when i see it I damn well hope you played D-lineman <clears throat> because it would have been a terrible way. First off, I bet you, I'm like, I'm a big human being, but you tower, tower over me. And it's funny you say that. would have been a waste of body. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a client that I, I trade. Uh, he's a lawyer in uh, New York, but he played football for Notre Dame. And he was a, a D-lineman. He's a big, big human being. And of course, again, those, those behaviors, especially for pro athletes, I mean, this is a little bit of a niche conversation, but pro athletes are conditioned to be able to eat whatever, especially like O-linemen and D-linemen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't necessarily just revert to a different lifestyle when you stop playing the sport and you stop practicing, right? And there are plenty of athletes, examples of people got real healthy because they just had a switch. But then there's plenty of people who just never changed their nutrition after they stopped playing sports. And I think that's another thing too. It's like whenever someone says, you know, oh, just make sure kids are playing sports. They don't need to be in the gym. Well, the gym is, it, it is about having it as an option later because not everybody keeps going with sports for their whole life, but it's really become normalized now to in, in involve yourself in resistance training, strength training for a lifetime. 
right? And so it's a skill that they can have forever versus something that there's a point in which you're going to lace up for the last time to go out and play a game, right? And a lot of people do recreational stuff, but, you know, I'm not so sure a lot of, uh, you know, ex-football players are going in like just smashing into each other when they're 50. No. No. Right? (laughs) A lot of, there's a lot of beer league hockey stuff going on. Like again, I'm Canadian, right? So we see more of the hockey stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nah, nah. Once football is over, it's pretty much over. Like you may play a little seven on seven every now and again, but and then I mean, all the stuff you put your body through adds up, and, and it's more like, oh, let me go play some golf or bowl or something now. So, and like you said, those eating habits. Um, like when I left football, I continued those bad eating habits. I'm eating a whole pizza here, drinking beer there, this, that, and the other. Like, but I'm not working out anymore. I'm not running. I'm not going to practice anymore. So, yeah, I'm. I go from 290 to 400 pounds just like that. Like, like, and now you know. Now I got to revamp my lifestyle. But I mean, that's. I mean, that's what a lot of former athletes face. Just like you just said, like a lot of former athletes are are faced with that a year or two after they get out of the sport. Either you change immediately or you keep going. And then you run into that crossroad road where you're like, what am I going to do now? So definitely. Well, you're a pretty, I'll say sizable, strong guy. <laughs> Andrew to yourself. Do you feel like a lot of people are coming to you for strength, for weight loss, lifestyle? Who do you attract the most? I think because my media more and more, especially as Instagram has grown, has been built around strength and lifestyle. Um, I tend to get general population lifestyle mm-hmm. clients. I, I've got some That's older awesome. adults. I got some retirees. Um, I have lots of working professionals, and it's just a point of accountability. You know, one of one of my guys, he's fifty five. He's pre diabetic, and he knew he needed a change. He's, he's been talking to me intermittently for. God, probably eight, nine years. I've known him a long time. And he was finally ready, right? He owns um, an insurance company. So it was time that he was ready. And he doesn't like coming to the gym, but he really loves hanging out with me and bullshitting about sports or whatever other crap we get on with. And I've structured the workouts in a way that it's not like he's not dying doing circuit training. We're just lifting progressively heavier and heavier stuff. And he feels good about it. So I've created an environment that he enjoys. And that's kind of a lot of what I do. I work with some young athletes. Sure. Which mentioned, yeah, I've got a retired you know, football star, but I mean, he's still a lifestyle guy and his goal is to, is to drop some weight. He just had a, you know, minor knee surgery. So we're trying to, you know, manage his weight versus that. I've never been interested in, because I've never competed in powerlifting or strong, uh, strong man or or bodybuilding stuff or Olympic lifting. I don't have any skill in, so I don't coach those type of clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I would rather just refer them to people who are highly specialized. I have a, a big network of people I think who are incredible. And I would just simply rather go here. Like I've had clients who we worked on getting them strong as hell, but when they it came time for them to, hey, all right, they want to compete. We literally created a referral or found the right fit wherever they were, whether it's online or in person, um, for someone to take them over to guide them through the the, the nuance of specific skills that you need to be a, a successful competitive powerlifter, right? And when it comes to the bodybuilding style of stuff, especially the you know the the dieting side, that's a minefield. You know, that's mm-hmm. a tricky minefield of all manner of stuff, whether it's the drugs, the performance enhancing drugs, whether it's the 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 level of extreme restriction that's necessary to win on stage. 
And the complicated relationship, whether, I mean, I don't, don't believe bodybuilding or bikini competitions cause eating disorders. I don't believe that. Can they? Sure. I mean, any sort of environment can lead to that sort of thing. But I definitely think that they can be very attractive to people who are emotionally vulnerable, body image issues, who may be a little bit more susceptible to developing eating disorders because they may be seeking validation. I don't think they realize what they're getting into because no. the way you look on stage at a moment, and Eve, I mean, you've competed, right? Like I do remember that. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I have a feeling you've probably seen the good, and the bad, and, and I do believe you did it from a, a positive place. Right? And that's why I don't like demonizing these things. But I do know that there are people that get in there for the wrong reasons. They're vulnerable. They get up on stage looking lean, but then they're being judged, right? And unless you're the one who's winning, you're being judged, which has to be challenging. And then what ends up happening afterwards? A lot of people, if they don't have good guidance, then they they go and they've been restricted for so long. We know the physiological and psychological adaptations that occur in the human body when you restrict and dieted for a while that ramps up hunger, food, ID, uh, like just obsession with food, all sorts of other stuff, the, the hormonal sh stuff that's going on. And then if they don't have structure, what do they do? They go binge. And all of a sudden they've gained a lot of weight back. So you can't stay, certainly not in a healthy way. You can't stay that lean forever. So if that's the thing you're like, hey, I want to look like that. It's, it's a lie that you could stay that way. And Absolutely. the people that try to, um, you know, I, I, I can't really say that this is what caused it. Uh, I want to be careful with this, but there's a, a, I guess, a popular Instagram bodybuilder figure who died recently, and he died fairly young. And I believe there was a, a congenital heart issue. But what mm -hmm. I know about this stuff is this guy was famous for being really lean all of the time. And like the kind of lean that only comes with, you know, the ability, the, the combination of muscle mass and extreme leanness, like super peeled, like thin skin leanness. That can only come from, you know, performance enhancing drugs. And then to sustain this appearance all, all the time, what likely occurred is the reliance upon a level of, and a combination of drugs in conjunction with a congenital heart issue. Uh, and maybe my guess is probably the use of diuretics as well. Again, I want to be very careful how I approach this. And anybody who thinks that that isn't a contributing factor to his death is, is kidding themselves. So there's also the danger in this imagery, seeing these people all the time. And by all accounts, this guy was a very nice, genial person, right? But we want to be a little cautious about the role models because how many vulnerable young people mm -hmm. are looking at this going, well, I want to be like this. And there's a double-edged sword because on one hand, I think there's a, a very big generation of men who got into gyms looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger and him, him in the movies and going, yeah, like I want to look like that, right? Thinking that was possible. But I think that things have probably gotten to some extremes now, especially with the proliferation of social media and some, some of the extreme physiques, that it can pose risks. But at the same time, I mean, what are we dealing with? What what the, We've got the risk of inactivity and metabolic, you know, unhealth uh, and like a, a mass scale and then we have the danger of you know the mental health issues around eating disorders which lane norton just did a video on this and and i'm going to believe him when he cites this claim that it is the deadliest form of mental psychiatric mental health issue out there even more so than depression right it kills more people and i believe that to be true and if lane is saying it i think lane probably has the statistics to back it up so it's a minefield but 
my my attitude is let's keep get people strong let's get them focusing on good healthy nutrition let's try to give them some guardrails about the the potential risks of the extremes on either side of it and try to guide people to a healthier better place and they also have a good emotional relationship with the process too so i know i went a little far afield there but that's essentially how i try to approach my work and i think it attracts the kind of clients who like look for that do you think wanting to help like this specific group of people like more lifestyle more strength has been a huge inspiration of why you started writing I mean, it, it always underlies it, sure, the desire to help and reach more people. I came up through reading T Nation a lot every morning. So, of course, many of the writers, longtime people, some of whom have gone on to become very good friends of mine, my friend Lee Boyce, for example, who will be speaking at my event. He was at Raise the Bar last year. Uh, we're going to be at an event together literally in a week in Toronto. Or, you know, your Ben Brunos or your Eric Cressys, your Tony Gentilcores, Danny Sugar, longtime editor. I look at these people and I held them in high esteem. And so I think people in the industry, coaching in the industry go wrong when they, they seek status and they desire status. And I think that manifests as people will take a lot of shortcuts through social media and then they want to be quote famous or whatever on social media. It, it's a combination of admiring this and going, I mean, I never thought I could do this, which is part of it too. So it wasn't like I was seeking it out, but I desire, I enjoy writing. So I started writing for my own website and then opportunity happened <clears throat> via the podcast because my friend asked me to start a podcast with him. So we did the podcast, thought it was going to be this local thing, what have you. Started traveling, uh, got to meet some really big names in the industry. Like Mike, Dr. Mike Isertel and Sohee Lee were two of our 10 first guests. Like, holy shit. And those episodes went really, really big. Spencer Nadolsky was on there early. Again, another huge episode. And there were plenty more like that. So the podcast really blew up early before everybody had their podcast. So it became one of the more well-known ones in the space. And then that led to a direct opportunity to come right for T Nation. So a lot of this stuff was just putting my head down, doing stuff for the sake of doing it because it was interesting and fulfilling and fun. And then some crazy opportunities came out of it. My first speaking event was my friend Tim Arndt's Inline Empire Fitness Conference, a smaller regional thing based out of Spokane, Washington. I'd met Tim at a different event, saw that, whoa, He's got his own event. Oh, cool lineup. All right, I want to go to this, right? Northwest, not too not too bad for me to get to it. So I went in 2018, went in 2019. It didn't happen in 2020. We're not talking about that, like I said. But 2021, he was determined he was going to do it. And it was going to be smaller, but he said, it's going to happen. So he had a speaker dropout. Greg Knuckles, my friend, thank you. Um, I owe my speaking career to you. You're wonderful. And so I came in. I prepared like hell. It went great. I got another invite right out of that from another speaker at his event. And then other people saw me doing this stuff. It led to more and more and more and more. And now it's been like about 80 year, the last two years, because I showed up and I just supported something, not, not transactionally thinking, well, I want to be on that stage one day, right? You know, going to raise the bar back in 2022. And, and I've been developing a relationship with Nick and Derek for a little while. And so, you know, I just went there, hung out. I had the best time. Travel wasn't exactly the easiest right around that time, but went down anyway. And then we got into discussions right away. And because of how much I've been doing, Nick and Derek wanted me in the lineup last year. And then they saw, like, I put a lot of butts in those seats because I pushed the event heavily. I brought a lot of my community, kind of like what you did. And, I mean, I'm back. Like, I'll be back there next year. And they've got a core group. And, and they they the first year they did, they had a lot of speakers. And they've cut it down, cut it down just to, to make it work. 
So I'm running all over the place with this one, but I don't think there was a plan. And like I said earlier, I get to do this stuff because this stuff is fun and bonus. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. want these things because they think, oh, there's a trapping of success. You know, there'll be people in my DMs going, hey, I, I have my own event, right? It's going on in October. It's like, hey, can you know, can I come speak at your event? I've got really great content. It's like, yeah, like I have a limited number of spots. I have a, you know, I have a budget for for travel for my speakers. Everybody in that event has got to put butts in seats. And I also really want to have a, a speaking group that appeals to a broader array of possible attendees. I really want female fitness entrepreneurs to look at this event and go, this is amazing. The best events I've gone to in the last few years have been full of female fitness entrepreneurs. Aram's event, I think was 85% women. It was ridiculous, Mm -hmm. right? It's a growing Mm -hmm. demographic. And I've been to the S&C stuff, the strength and conditioning stuff, that's been almost entirely men. Like I remember going to an event, I think there were like 25-ish speakers. Every last one was a guy. And we're growing past that, right? And I'm being careful with the language here, but I, I, I genuinely believe that we have this growing segment in our industry and you are doing an amazing job of serving them. But I want to make sure that we are catering to that community because A, it helps my event. But I really do believe that if you put people who come from different backgrounds into a room together, they're more likely to learn from each other, benefit from each other, as opposed to staying within like really traditional echo chambers. Yeah, you learn so much more. So like I'm always telling Randall, I don't want to go to the same events with the same speakers, the same people, the same circle. I'm going to a women's business event in two weeks. I usually don't know anybody. I just booked the ticket. I booked the hotel. I go and then my goal is like X amount of people that I break out of my shell to introduce, but you learn exponentially when you're just showing up, you're taking a risk and you're being around different people. Like when I came back from Raise the Bar, because Randall couldn't come because we had so many last minute things, which always happens, but he's coming next year. But I was like, it was awesome. It was so good. And I only knew the speakers. I did. I knew maybe four people in the room. And I did have followers that came up and they're like, I know you. But I go to just submerge (laughs) myself with other people that aren't necessarily in the same, you know, niche of industry as me. And I come back and I'm like, I'm blown away. There's so much to learn. Right. And I made a point of introducing you to a whole bunch of people because I knew that you made that effort. Right. That was important. Yeah. Because I want everybody to have a great time at these things because they've changed my life. Good, good, good. I I have another question. Uh, Just based off of, you know, we were talking about how you're writing the magazines. Um, You're a cerebral guy. Uh, Eve, you're very cerebral. A lot of times we get termed as meatheads because we love the gym so much. But it's ironic because for me, like a lot of the smartest people, the most um, disciplined people, the people that actually read books the most, I've met in the gym. So these are a lot of times the smartest people that I meet. And people that are in the gym always refer to us as meatheads and this, that, and other, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea. Like, how many books have you read last year? Like, and I'm like, this is a question I'm asking. It may be like one, two, some of them none. I'm like, yeah, I've read 10, you know, and I still go to the gym five to six days a week. It's nothing wrong with that. But I know you read a lot of books. So could you shed some light on how you feel about that? And could you give us your top three books? 
All right. I mean, like <clears throat> people throw around all kinds of stuff. How many times were you dismissed as a jock because you're a football player, right? Uh, countless. <laughs> right. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff is going to be a narrative in someone else's mind. And it's it's actually about them, not about us, right? Like two of mm-hmm. the most successful, smartest people in the industry, uh, Nick Shaw and Dr. Mike Isertel, the two guys behind Reddit's Hot Spiritization, they're meatheads. They're at their absolute essence. They're meatheads. Mike, like they're smart guys. Mike in particular is is shockingly intelligent. Like it's if you sit and listen to him for any length of time, you're just going to feel like a stupid human being because Mike is that smart, right? He doesn't mean to make anybody feel that way. In fact, he's actually really gracious. He's wonderful. So I don't get too twisted up about it. Um, I I will push back sometimes at language that maybe paints a negative light about fit active lifestyle stuff. Right? Like, you know, people will dismiss things as, oh, you're obsessed, you're addicted, what have you. It's like, all right, maybe we can take back those words a little bit. I don't give a shit if someone thinks, I am obsessed about my health and fitness. I am obsessed about my fitness career. And I, I put up a post about this and, oh my God, like po- positivity, like crazy, super positive, shared like crazy. But there's always like this little cluster of people who are like vicious and nasty and horrible. And I had a couple people who I know personally who were like sniping about it. And like the irony is, is these are two of the worst human beings, most status seeking, negative, irascible, just unpleasant people I've ever dealt with. So I'm like, I'm not surprised. And really what they were doing is they were looking for an excuse to pick away at me because they think very small. And I'm, I think very big in terms of, you know, the scale and the impact that we can have to, to help the industry. So I watched for the way people police the language we use and for most of the time i just ignore them I, i'm here to try to share better positive messages so if someone is caught up in a narrative like oh you guys are just stupid meatheads cool you can believe that i don't give a shit that like that has nothing to do with who i am my sense of self or impact me in any way to stop me from my mission so that's just how i look at that books i mean god um i do a lot of audiobooks which helps you really get through volume so I probably average about, I would say, 80-ish books a year. Um, some of it I read. I got to be very picky about what I can read in person. Like right now, I'll reach out and I don't know if you guys use the video of this, but uh, Molly Galbraith gifted me the Menopause Coaching Specialist uh, certification. This is incredible. Uh, I don't necessarily have a lot of time, so I'm gradually picking my way through it um, with everything else I've been doing. So that I can't do on audio. So I would rather you know do the stuff I can consume. Um I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, Brad Stolberg. So Brad, he wrote, uh, he's written a couple books. He's got a new one coming out. Uh, he's got one called The Practice of Groundedness. And I think this is just a really good and different take on, especially someone like me, who's fairly type A, fairly hustle, go, 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 go nonstop. Um, I, I, I recommend it to my buddy, Luca Hosovar. And Luca, Luca's like wild. Like Luca's on another level for like just hard work. And I think that's what smacked Luke up at the side of the head as well. Just like, yeah, okay, cool. We we, we got to wake up from like, you know, running ourselves into the ground like this stuff because we have a, a crazy capacity for doing stuff. But uh, so that book, The Practice of Groundedness, I think was wonderful for everybody. I'm also going to give, like, I, I could give you 50 books and there's a few classics that I recommend, but I'm also going to shout out my buddy, Adam Bornstein, who also will be speaking next year at Raise the Bar. And Adam has been doing Arnold Schwarzenegger and LeBron James and Lindsey Vaughn's nutrition for a very long time. Okay. Adam, very, very good writer, very, very smart nutrition guy. And he's got a book, you can't screw this up. And I really do think it's the answer to all the bullshit diet books. You ever walked into a like a nutrition section at a bookstore and you look at this and like this is a goddamn fiction section? This is nonsense. It, it's nonsense. Complete and utter rubbish. I want to look at these things and go, 
put little, like one of my buddies, uh, he has got a nutrition coaching company. He used to anyway. And he would like put his card in these books sometimes in bookstores, just fucking around. Right. Um, anyway, but uh, you can't screw this up is a really good nuanced evidence-based take that I think is, it's designed to help the everyday person. So if anybody's really interested, it'd also be great for coaches to help you with those conversations. Okay. And then I'm going to give you guys, actually, I'm going to give you guys some of my classics. So I think that um, especially on the, the career business side of stuff, Seth Godin's linchpin is a really great philosophy about how to approach just the way you deal with people on an everyday basis. It's about going above and beyond and people just take notice and great things happen to you. I think that uh, Ryan Holiday's work is amazing. The obstacle is the way is a really good one. It's the one that blew him up. And it's just about your mindset, about challenges, obstacles, setbacks, the bad shit that happens along the way. One of the worst things that ever happened in my career was actually the inflection point to make a change that led to all of me leaving the old commercial gym and all the growth. And if I hadn't left, I would probably, you know, still be stuck admired in that. And I wouldn't, you guys wouldn't even know me because I wouldn't be speaking all this stuff. And then I think Essentialism by Greg McKeon is a really good book about cutting it down both for your individual life, but also, you know, the career-based stuff to filter out all the crap that everybody pulls you in all, in all sorts of directions that serves them. It's about boundaries. It's a really good book about learning to say no, setting boundaries, getting clear on what's important to you, family, but also your key career goals. So we'll cut it off there because I'm out of time. Yeah, there you go, guys. You got a few books. I'm definitely going to pick them up. I know E's reading Essentialism right now. She was telling me I needed to read that one. So definitely appreciate that. But I know you got to wrap it up. So how can the people find you? All roads go through Instagram at Andrew Coates Fitness. If you have any questions about this episode, want book recommendations, message me. I respond to everything that's important to me. So please hit me up there. Um, you can find out more stuff about my event in October or um, anything else through that. Uh, if I've got any articles I'm publishing or any podcasts I appear on, it all goes up through Instagram. So hopefully I'll see you there. Eve Randall, you guys are amazing. Thank you for having me. And if I don't see you before, I will see you guys in February in Dallas. Yep. Most definitely. Texas. Most definitely. We appreciate you joining us today. And as always, we're thankful for our listeners. Make sure you guys like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Make sure you like, share, and tag us on Instagram. Also, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss future episodes. In the meantime, be healthy and get wealthy.